Hey folks, it's Jeremy Kirkland. You're listening to Blamo. How we doing? My foot, my foot is asleep. I'm recording this right now. All this, I mean, I, look, I, I'll be honest. I've been down here. I've been working. And uh, when I when I do my intros, I always do this like the night before, straight off the dome. And uh, I guess I was down here a while, you know, burning the midnight oil, and my freaking foot's asleep. You got that weird thing with it. Your foot, the, all the tingles going up your legs. You know, th- this is why I do these things. I do my walk and talks. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably pacing around my neighborhood. People are going to report me on next door, some weirdo walking around, talking to himself. But I got, I got my AirPods in. I don't know if you ever do this. I'll take a meeting. I'll be listening to music. Um, but I've, I've done so many of these. I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm going to get a little cardio, just a little chill session going. Um, and I'll throw on some some heavy instrumental stuff. Like I, uh, <laughs> I've gone nuts with Bach, uh, that's, which is not that heavy. But man, there's some there's some bangers. Shout out Bach, whatever you're doing, wherever you are. Thanks for those. Thanks for those bangers. But uh, I mean, look, I, I find music it challenges me, it inspires me. It's so near and dear to my heart. Uh, a personal favorite is my guest this week, uh, Manchester Orchestra. I mean, Andy Hall of Manchester Orchestra. But look, I mean, I was listening to their new album and I'll, I'll put a track on and I walk around, I look at the sky, the trees, the houses, and I feel like I'm in a music video. Don't, don't act like, don't act like you don't do this stuff. I know you people have walked around and you're listening to some heavy stuff, whether it's Manchester Orchestra or it's Sigaros or Max Richter or some sort of stuff. And you're like, I'm in a movie. I'm in a, I'm in a music, I'm in a music video. What's up? Uh, it's the greatest feeling ever. If you haven't done this, I encourage you to do it. No one's going to know if you're doing it anyway. Just go walk around, listen to your headphones. It's a great feeling. So <laughs> that being said, my guest this week is Andy Hall of Manchester Orchestra. And uh, it, it was great. Andy and I discussed nice guy indie rock, broken social scene, working with Phoebe Bridgers, working with the Daniels on Swiss Army Man. The best live shows, heavy lyrics, revisiting Limp Biscuit. Oh, it's a good one. Headphone records, music docs, their upcoming tour with Jimmy Eat World, Comedy Bang Bang, and their new EP, The Valley of Vision. Here we go. Well, it's nice to meet you. Uh, you as well. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a wild world, indie rock. It is. Whatever it means now. That, there you go. There's the theme of the pod. What does indie rock mean now? Because you're, yeah. you're about as mainstream as indie rock can get. I mean, you're, you're out there, man. You guys are huge. <laughs> well, I've never uh, cared about any of that ever. I always, you know, like once I started meeting people that were in quote unquote cool indie rock bands and they were way nicer than any press person that I'd ever met and realized yeah. that this was all just made up by labels and press people. And there isn't really a thing. And only like the real assholes in bands <laughs> think about it. <laughs> then it was like it was just like dirt, dirt off my shoulders, man. Didn't matter to me anymore. Um, so wait, you never you never had the bad moment where you were like you met your hero and the dude was a downer. Oh, I've had a they... million of them. I think it's more you know just what uh, and I'm talking like my early twenties, late teens when we like were thrown into this thing. You know, here's a great example. Yeah. Like a, like there wasn't a cooler band that you th- would think were more hip and not cool than like Broken Social Scene and like two thousand. Kevin Drew, right? what is up? Yeah. And then like we do this Australian tour with them, like the nicest people in the world, super inviting to us. They had no idea who we were, had no reason to be nice to us. And it was just a little light bulb that was like, oh, okay, so the assholes are like 
the press, not the actual right. artists, you know, it's, those are the people making divisions and all this stuff where in reality, after as many years as I've been doing it now, it's just, you have respect for anybody who does it as a living well, no matter what they sound like, you have to have respect for them. At least that's how I look at it. No, I think you're right. I think there's definitely a shared camaraderie when it's like when you're in it, especially now, because, you know, you mentioned Broken Social Scene. They're a band who were in a band before like the politics and, you know, capital B business of what it meant to be in a band. If you were in a band pre-Spotify and you also like, because you guys kind of have your own label sort of thing too. Yep. And so you exist parallel to the business versus somebody who's got a 360 deal now. It's I think there's definitely a um yeah, like a shared grief and joy because you you know you know that whatever whatever you're on at the moment, it can it can go up, it can go down, but you're still you still got your music. Absolutely. That's it. That's all you got. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there is that sort of like you had to make that commitment to, well, you know, you you invest in yourself in that sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The uh the 360 wave was uh that was probably this 360 thing started like maybe 6 7 8 years after we started going early 2010s and that was just I remember feeling really cuz we were shopping for labels we had we made a record called cope by ourselves and you know we were seeing if there were any cool partners that we could um collaborate with and a lot of the options out there were really like just sign away everything um and luckily we didn't yeah i, I always felt uh bad for those bands who were coming up and like didn't have the option really um to to find something else or if you did it, you know it was one thing just seemed way more enticing. Like it made sense to me why up and coming bands were signing those kind of deals. Cause it sort of gave you a leg up in every area. But then you fast forward that five, 10 years later, it's like, Oh no, you know, now they own everything. Yeah. Geez. I think that's, you know, I've talked to tons of musicians on this pod, uh, over the years and also like other friends who have had, uh, who are in bands. And I think like, I always love talking about that side of the business because I think a lot of times, especially like casual music fans now don't have the full, no pun intended, like 360 degree, like understanding yeah. of what it takes to exist in that business and like what artists are giving up and what they're doing versus like, so I have this, you know, as an aside, I have like kind of like a weird, um, I don't know, business conviction whenever I'm listening to a band. So if I like a band, I'll, you know, I pay for Spotify and Apple Music only Same. because I use Apple Music for the higher bit rate. If I'm like sitting in that chair, having my weird little like, you know, listen to an album all the way through moment. Um, but if I really like a band, I'll either try to get them on Bandcamp or buy their vinyl because mm -hmm. um, then I own it. Even if like the record player hasn't been working in ages or whatever, but it's like I want to make sure that there's that level of, you know, uh, I don't know, support and yeah, you know, connecting exactly with that. Right. And I try to go see the band anytime I can, you know, which now that I live in the Midwest, holy shit, it's crazy easy to do. It's it's crazy yeah. easy. I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing like Fleet Foxes and and Tom York, you know, and it's like down the street. I know. <laughs> and without the fanfare of having to be in a big city and not being able to get tickets, you know. Right. It was like that growing up in high school too, like living in Atlanta. Just always you could always see whoever you want. I just saw Tom York a couple months ago. It was awesome. Oh, did you say the smile? Yeah, yeah. It Thoughts? was the greatest show I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And that is like no conjecture. Whoa. Like I, I know, I know. And I've seen Radiohead a bunch of times. I've seen a 
lot of great shows. Um, before that show, the, my, the best show I had ever seen was uh, Mars Volta. I skipped out on my prom in high school and went to go see Mars Volta <laughs> right after Francis the Mute came out. No opener. Oh my God. Three yeah. hour show, John Theater on, um, on drums. They played for three hours and no one, no one spoke during the show. I hadn't tried drugs or drinking yet and I was high as all hell leaving that. And not even because of a contact. I was musically high. Oh, okay. I could, I could not believe what I had just seen. Uh, and then I felt that way. Yeah, it's like a 36-year-old watching them last December at the Eastern in Atlanta. I couldn't believe it. It was just so good. Yeah, Omar Rodriguez Lopez. Hell of a hell of a musician. Very, very underrated with just... That dude, I don't know what... Maybe it's because he doesn't do that much press, but like, why aren't people talking about that dude more? Maybe it's because they... I just... There were so many projects for so long. Um, oh. And they kept changing yeah. band names. It was kind of hard to like remember <laughs> what those true. dudes were up to, you know? I was always into it every time I heard it, but it was kind of hard to keep up. Yeah, because... I mean, speaking of that, like with Manchester Orchestra, you have evolved a significant amount. When you listen to early MO records yeah. and now you hear what you guys are at now. I mean, did you did you ever think about like, oh, we got to change the band name? Because I know you've done kind of stuff that's you individually, but like. Yeah. Not, no, not like actually considering it. Um, I think because we started making left turns pretty soon. So like the, you know, our yeah, first record true. was, our second record was pretty different from our, our first record and our third record was pretty different. And they all kind of kept going in a certain direction that I, I felt, well, I mean, not at the time. I heard some quote the other day, I was watching something about uh, Tyler, the creator and Pharrell was talking about oh, yeah. like uh, trying to do something different uh, is a lonely game. And when it works, um, it is the greatest feeling in the world and you feel like a genius. And when it doesn't work immediately, you have to have the patience and hard skin to like, and the faith in your, and the music you've created that eventually this might come around. And that's oh, sort wow. of been the case of our band for, for a long time. Um, I think until our, our fifth record, Black Bottle to the Surface, which was seemingly the first time there was more than 50% of the fan base going like, okay, I like this. Not I've been betrayed by this. And then coming back five years and going like, no, actually I kind of see what they were trying to do there. Um, <laughs> So I think because we built up that thick skin and we just don't want to do the same thing. And ultimately that's really what it comes down to. I just, I would rather end the band, um, on a, on a high note than start to, to repeat ourselves in that sense. So makes the records harder, but also more enjoyable. Yeah. I think about that too. Cause like, you know, like what I was talking about earlier in terms of like the depth of a relationship people have with musicians, I think people forget that the music that they listen to, someone made that. And a lot of times as a mu music fan, in some ways you don't want your favorite band to change. Like, it's, right. It's, it's difficult, right? It is, but you, yes and no. But then I, you know, I think you'd probably also say when you do get a record from a band that does feel like the last thing, you are disappointed. You know, it's yeah. like, well, you know, um, disappointed is the wrong word. But you're not like challenged by it. Um, okay. That's, yeah, I, I hear you. In a, in a sense. And that's actually cool with me for, with a lot of bands. Like Built to Spill is one of my favorite bands ever. And like, I'm cool with Built to Spill records. Like just do what you're doing, dude, for as long as you want to do it. I'm into it. I don't need vast um, even though they did that for the first five, six records of their career, like I don't need a new built to spill record to, to be a techno version of like what they're doing, you know, or like, I don't need kid a from built to spill. <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't need it okay. I love what it is. Um, <laughs> although I'd love to hear that actually. Yeah. I was going to say, I'd be into that. 
I would too. Um, I just mean, I don't feel like disappointed in that sense. I'm like, I'm very just pleased to have one of my favorite songwriters releasing new music. John K. Sampson's another example of that. Like, I don't, I don't need something that different. A lot of that honestly has to do with lyrics and melody and storytelling too, because I think that those guys do keep pushing it in that sense. And that's a big reason why I'm, I'm listening to a lot of records like that. Like I want to hear, um, you know, their fresh perspective on lyrics and the story. Yeah. Like I, I'm like such a Dylan junkie, but I didn't, I didn't really understand Dylan until maybe five years ago. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, reading just tons and tons of different books of, you know, the various biographies and whatever, but like when Dylan went electric, right. And yes. he, and everyone hated people, it. Yeah, man. And now he betrayed I, music to them. Okay, right? See, yeah. like that's that's a thing. And it, it on one hand, I'm sure in hindsight now we can think about this and like, wow, what an incredible musician to have such uh, a you know a deep relationship with their fans that that person can't. But like that shit messed with him hard. Of like course. Dylan did not know how to handle people getting pissed off at him and doing that. And like then he just went nuts. And you got Rolling well, think Thunder Think about how review. crazy he must have felt too, being like, not only am I going electric, but my band is the band. It's, it right? is like the best band. <laughs> and we all know that Which now. they didn't even realize that. Correct. But he, he knew. But, That's why yeah. they were in his sure. band, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And so, and I remember there's so many great clips of that stuff of just people going like, you know, all these drunks in his band behind a bunch of talentless hacks, you know, <laughs> shitty guys. Yeah. They exactly. don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> it's like, and I just love that perspective too. It's like, do you think they're the ones that don't know what they're doing? I sometimes want to ask people who are like hypercritical of, of music in general, like, do you think you know what you're talking about? Or should we perhaps oh, yeah. trust the people who like do it for a living, you know? Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's that, but that's, that's gotta be the last 10 or 15 years where now you have social media and you have this like newer relationship with bands to where, I mean, imagine, right? Like 20 years ago, like, or let's do this. What was the first record that you purchased? Like with your money? Uh, the, the rock de la familia, the dynasty, the, uh, the, the Rockefeller, um, collaboration oh, wow. that had all those that was like the first yeah the first one i snuck um past because i grew up in uh in church and so we had you know we had that terrible um like spreadsheet that's like if you like green day and you like rage against the machine then meet us down here in the middle and you'll find some terrible version you never want to hear again <laughs> yeah. okay and so, you mean like the christian band that would that would play yeah that's gonna scratch yeah, whatever that whatever that was itch for you you know okay <laughs> and so um, I was just always on the lookout for, for stuff. And I had to burn things. Like I had to, I had to rip CDs from friends and try and find uh, stuff. Like, you know, maybe like the first record I really like deeply loved and kept close to me was mm -hmm. I got um, Color in the Shape, Foo Fighters, and um, album. and 36 Chambers, the, that um, Wu-Tang record. And those, those two were ones that I was really close that they totally represent my musical taste to this day. <laughs> you know, like they really do. It's like, you know, classic Foo Fighters, classic, classic. Um, and now like that Foo Fighters record's almost classic rock for, for our generation, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll raise the bar here. So I did the same thing in terms of burning CDs and um, I had burned a Limp Bizkit album. I'm sorry, Lord. And no, everyone, I mean, that's a bit, which one? Fan. Um, it was uh, the one with Nookie on it. Um, uh, significant and, Other, I think. Oh, 
Damn, you got your good right. memory. Yeah, well, yeah with, with like I had, the spray I, paint. I, I biscuited for a summer in the eighth grade. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not so a, I'm I ashamed that, to say it. And I, I burned it and I wrote Carmen. Oh, on, love uh, it. Perfect, perfect. Well, well, until mom found it. And so mom thinks her and her friends are going to listen to some Carmen. That's and it's amazing. not Newsboys. This isn't Jesus Freak. She puts it on and all of a sudden she starts to hear break stuff. That's so um, good, dude. Dude, I was busted. I have to go back and look because I know that, I know, I don't remember how it starts, but I know that significant other cannot start subtly. There is no Oh, way. no. It's, uh... <laughs> Just like this. There's an intro and then just like this. I was going to say the yeah. intro and I like to, I, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pull it up on my phone too because I'm just dying to know what. Oh, please. What please. did the this intro the say on this thing? I think I had the intro skipped because it was a burn or it was, okay, it was gotcha. all attached to the first um, track. I'm just saying there's no way <laughs> you, you and your mom, your mom and her friends in the suburban. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yes. Mom, this is this is this is Carmen. No, get off my back. Trust me, dude. You know what? You can say what you want about Limp Bizkit, but I don't dude, Wes Borland was a good guitar player. I will I will admit, Fred Durst kind of was just a goober, and I'm sure he did some stupid stuff that someone knows that I don't. I don't know, but for just the sonic music, that stuff slaps for a reason. We were You're not it. wrong, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> You go back, it's like, yeah, we were just trying to like make some rock stuff with like House of Pain guitar parts. You're like, yeah, I can totally right? see that now. Yeah, I get it. Right? It all it all made sense. But that's that's funny, yeah, because I was my dad was a pastor too, and I mean, I, I'm a we very uh, similar background in terms of angst, but um, <laughs> but being you know over churched or however you you would yes. want to describe yeah. yourself. That's a perfect uh, way to put it. <laughs> yeah, can't walk away from it though. I mean, I listen to your lyrics, and I'm like, damn, that guy's wrestling with something. Oh yeah, it's all still in there, um, and I think it's all you know. It's it's me determining my own um, my own path with all that stuff. You know, um, yeah. I don't. I'm I'm not angry about it uh, anymore, which is really good. Um, Boy, when did the anger go away? I think I started right. Started at least trying to plead with some sort of peace around our record cope, um, and I think I started to have a conversation with myself and the lyrics I was writing of like, you know, how do you want to frame your life? How do you want to make decisions in your life? Do you want to continue to blame? and uh, get angry about the things that you don't think were um, correct, which had a whole lot more to do with people than it did with, you know, necessarily like lessons that you could learn, you know, from, from the Bible or in spirituality. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's probably when it, when it started to, to look that way for me. It was less, um, yeah, a lot less just anger and more trying to have empathy, really. I mean, I think that's that was that's essentially the ultimate goal is to kind of you think about pain and, and and moments from that time, but also you know if you can also if you can look at that time and and try to have there's a it's a church word, but try to have grace towards people and have forgiveness and and you know realize that they are also just human beings. Um, that became less of like a stronghold on me, you know. Mm, yeah, that's heavy. It is heavy. I think it's probably why I won't stop writing about it too. You know, because it also then folds into I have children of my own now, and you know, how exactly do you want to bring them up, and um, what is that, and and also trying to explain to them, you know, some of the like pitfalls and things that I noticed of of you know people in church, and um, you know, the strange sort of I'm not sure what what it, your situation was, but you know, there's good folks everywhere and there's bad folks everywhere, um, and that doesn't uh, <laughs> it does not exclude a form of church or religion in any way. Yeah, it's interesting because the last pod we did 
not that long ago, we, my buddy uh, and I ended up talking about this because, you know, I have two kids. I have a five-year-old and a nine-month-old, and I'm trying to figure out how much do I let them around, you know, the church. My daughter loves church. She thinks it's amazing. But I, I don't like church. I like Jesus but I don't really like the church, especially now because anytime I tell anyone about it, I feel like I have to have a 20-minute conversation explaining that I don't think Trump is the Messiah and all these other things. So it's I could not understand more what you're talking about. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think um, it, it comes down for me just about some like personal truths that I feel. So like Mm. in my opinion and in my knowledge of knowing what helps me having a relationship with a higher power and following the teachings, the very bare basic teachings of what Jesus Christ said, I agree with all of that. Um, It has helped me. It does help me. I am not here to tell everybody else they're wrong. I'm not here to tell everybody else I'm right. But it's also, like you said, you know, it's a tough thing where you have to have so many disclaimers in order to even talk about having a relationship with a higher power in general. Um, Yeah. That I do work a lot of that stuff out with what I'm writing. And for me, I've just been so fortunate that my actual process of uh, working through issues in life and processing has always come in the form of sitting down and writing a song, never with the intention mm. of, does this need to be a Manchester song or will people like this? Literally just for, I have thoughts in my brain that I will feel better after they are out and then they are on the page. And I'll learn things about what I was trying to work through while writing the song. Um, you know, moments where you go, all right, I was having this conversation just a couple months ago, writing some new music with the guys and was going through some lyrics towards the end. And I'm like, I've got this choice, like this whole song's about these two people. And like, there's a choice with the final two lines of this song. The whole thing's a little ambiguous. We don't know which way that we're leaning. Is this like the saddest song or perhaps there is some hope here? Like, which one are we going to land on? Right. And I find that where I am now, I lean more towards like, well, why would we, why would I want to even put into the world just like a declarative negative sentiment unless it makes the story better? You know, so it's, well, it's right, very yeah, conflicting. That's what you're feeling you know? though, it's Exactly, right? yes. And so it is about like being truthful that way. And like, I think that makes a, a difference for me between, you know, like trying to paint some picture that isn't real or being real about it. And the truth about it all with all this stuff you can write, I can write a million songs about, you know, what my current theology and the state of the world and how I'm terrified about the future and all that shit. But like, really, I just don't have any answers and I'm not sure I'm even going to get closer by investigating like this, but it helps me. It helps me kind of figure out what I'm thinking and talking about. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that weight? Because I think there, you're a band and a, a writer that your music already has tons of memories for people, right? That you're not a new band that just popped on TikTok. Like this is, people have already had a, a deep relationship with your music. And because of that, like this is kind of what we were, almost what you we were talking about earlier. Like there's an assumption of the experience that needs to happen. And it's like, I'll turn your music on, like Manchester Orchestra, Max Richter, this sort of stuff where it's like, I want um, optimistic, um, somewhat joyful, like 
processing and mm. I'll listen to it and it makes me focus. And sometimes I'm focusing very much on the music. Other times I'm focusing on something that's in my mind. But like, that's the stuff that I turn to for. And so when you're writing music, do you feel the weight of like, this is the stuff that people want? Or are you just like, fuck it. Like, I'm just, I know you want that, but this is where I am right now. And you have to respect where I am. Yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know which one makes me sound worse, but it's option two. <laughs> I'm re- I, you know, I'm, I'm never- None of these are bad. <laughs> I, I am truthfully never thinking about what anybody is going to think about it. I'm really- well, That's good. I'm really thinking about like, how can this move me even more, you know? And so if I can get to mm. a place where like, oh man, I was so honest in that, that it really makes me feel emotional and 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 that can be a, like a really dark way or a really beautiful way. It could be like a line about my daughter, um, you know, in both ways too. It could be a great line about my daughter, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, um, but just like I, I, I'm most comfortable weirdly doing that, like just trying to say the thing that is on my mind as most effectively and interestingly as possible. Um, and thankfully, I'm that way because I think I was too young to feel like insecure. Well, not insecure is the wrong word. Uh, I was too young. To to be afraid of being vulnerable. I just like, I knew that that was, I knew that that was affecting me to be super vulnerable. And then I saw that it was connecting with other people to be that vulnerable. And so um, once we get into a place where the song is established and we're working on it, I will start to think, you know, like, oh yeah, I can see, I can see that people will, you know, or I'll send it to people that a short list of folks that I, I try and bounce things off of and go, am I, am I working? Is this working the right way or not? And um, yeah, it, but it generally, like the rule of thumb is like the more honest it is and true to me, it seems to connect with people. Um, so that's like a bonus. I mean, absolutely. It definitely does. I was listening to the the new EP. I mean, I had a copy of it earlier, but I was re-listening to it because like, I don't know, like I have car music yeah. and I have headphone music and it's like, it's rare that there's a band that can kind of cross that threshold at the same time. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. To where it's, it's like, I, I can listen to this and tune out. Yeah, no, I'm serious. I can listen to it and tune out in a good way. Yep. And then I can listen to it and also tune in to where it's like, okay, I, I like, I'm now, I want to read these lyrics now. I want to, you know, because so much music, it's just so passive. But yeah, that's why headphone records are the best. Right? Yeah, like that's, that's what, that's what we try to make, you know? Um, sure. And it's awesome. Like I've it's just, I really meant that. Like that's the greatest compliment because I have the same, you know, and my favorite records are where they're bumping in the car, but yeah, you could really get introspective, you know, with a glass or to a wine sitting on the back porch and and taking it all in. You know? Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this tons on the pod that some people will probably even be annoyed, but it's like, I've just, it's, it's been like my newest discovery in the sense that I'll sit and I'll listen to a, an album all the way through on headphones. I have a DAC that I'll use so I can get the highest possible bit rate. You know, I have some fairly nice headphones, not these that I'll use for it, you know, and it, and some of this stuff where it's like, I listened to the, the 24 bit remaster of Revolver. You yeah, know? me too. And it's like, I, I, I heard more of the room. I could have uh, sworn I heard more of the room. I mean, you're not. <laughs> wrong it does sound different it's crispy i remember putting that on the studio speakers and be like right like yeah i mean it's insane how they keep making and i think they got a lot of that stuff with ai like they figured out a lot of the technology that thing with ai which is don't tell me that unfortunate what if it's not real (laughs) it probably isn't dude (laughs) Um, damn it (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> but like same thing when like in 2009 or 10 or 8, 9, 10, somewhere around then when uh, when they released all those records again. Um, but it was finally oh, yeah. uh, stereo. This is when they, when they came on iTunes, right? That was yes, a big Steve Jobs iTunes, announcement. You go, buy the, you go buy the records and they were finally in stereo and like super high reds. And still to this day, the, the, my favorite way to listen and the best audio quality that I can get other than just from the speakers of the studio is a CD because it is, you know, it is not, um, it doesn't, it, the, the music is just pure, you know, there's not a lot running, um, in between from just, you know, artifact to your speaker. Um, yeah. and I, you know, that's, we could just talk about that all the time. It's like when we, when we, uh, <laughs> when we're mixing stuff, we have work with a brilliant engineer, producer, mixers, woman, Catherine Marks, who's a dear friend. And I mean, dude, she has gotten so good at it now where she can tell what's missing in the low end on her iPhone speaker. She's like, oh yeah, we got to no. drop a little. Yeah. And she's right. It's crazy. Um, oh my God. Because she kind of has to mix that way. You know, you'll go in like the best part of yeah. like the nicest studios in the whole world, you know, and somebody, I was at Dave Sardi's house the other day and like, sure enough, right in between his gazillion dollar speakers, there's just some terrible JBL popping iPod in, you know, thing. You got kind of, you gotta, you gotta ref it on those, you know, you have to, yeah. cause you know, somebody, no, you're right. It's like getting you remember getting in people's cars in high school and college and like you'd go check their EQ and they're just that whole thing is on flat. You're just going, what are you doing, man? You're not even bringing up the high end a little bit. You've been listening through a sock since you bought this car. <laughs> well, dude, that's funny you said flat because I was the person who would put my stuff flat because I was like, it was it was oh, the you're most next backwards level. thing. I love that. No, because well, my dad was always like was like, no, like listen to everything flat, but he would listen to things on great reference speakers. There you go. And so I carried that effed up mentality that everything I listened to, I would always make it flat because I was like, well, this is the way the artist intended. And it's like, no way did Lindsey Buckingham intend for me to listen to rumors on fucking <laughs> Toyota you know, Corolla, like yeah, speaker, like, 98 speakers on flat. Speakers. No, he would love for you to yeah. enhance that just a bit in the mids <laughs> and, and the treble. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I would be like, no, this, I, it's got to be pure. It's, you know, I was, it was so stupid. And it was like, I knew just enough to be a little bit more of an idiot. Well, and same so, here. We were both, we would have both just canceled each other out and are knowing of nothing, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, that's, I, um, I'm not now like all into physical media for listening to stuff to where that. like even like Blu-rays and stuff now. Cause my, you know, my wife and I, we were talking and it's like, we always will sit and like look at budgets and dumb stuff. And I was mm -hmm. like, why are we paying 15 bucks a month for Spotify to listen to the same four albums? She's like, I basically listen to Phoebe Bridgers 24 mm seven. -hmm. And for me, I listen, you know, now to be honest, I just listen to like weird Stan Getz while I'm working. And then I'll mm -hmm. sit and, you know, have an actual, you know, album session. Yeah. Yeah, you treat like, you treat records like movies in that sense. You're like sitting down to give yeah. it the time. Yeah. 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 But it's like I I'm like we should just have CDs. And this I'm not anti spot or anti any of that stuff. It's just like I don't I'm just renting this stuff. I don't I can't have a deeper relationship if I if I don't own it. I don't and, really and I don't utilize ever a I don't ever utilize curious if you do the like new Friday, like the new music Friday thing. I never use that ever. Um, no way. Me and I think that's a big reason why people do love it is because it's giving them these recommendations and they're going like, holy cow, you know. Um, yeah. but I, and I'm not sure why I don't use it. Probably just because I want to hear what I want to hear. You know, I still go searching for interesting things too, though. Like I'm definitely trying to find interesting records yeah. and, and stuff like that. Because I that was the fun part of like the hunt back in the day. 
And maybe that new music right? just feels a little too like immediate, you know, like I'm cheating or something. Well, it's, it's kind of forced and it's like, I'd rather have either one, a DJ tell mm-hmm. me I have to listen to something or like, I still listen to Sirius XMU, Download 15 is one of my favorite shows. Yep. You know, you guys were on there not yep. that long ago. Yeah. But, great. um, but there was like, I don't know. I wanted the, the curation, but the, the other thing that happens, and I'm curious how you've processed this stuff where if you're a younger music fan and so, okay, the amount of people that saw that and that are also now watching Swiss Army Man thanks to everything everywhere yes and are like losing their shit over your guys' soundtrack which still is one of the best soundtracks ever it's Thank so you good very much it's excellent. Um, and now we're, you know, going and discovering other stuff. People are with Spotify and digital music discovering Fleetwood Mac in 1973. People are also discovering that the same time they discover an album that came out in 2023. And it's like, that's a thing that I don't think anyone ever expected. We're just all music is new. Yes. Yeah. Because even when we would hear something like that, when we were kids, it was quote unquote classic rock. Like you knew, you knew the Eagles were, aged. You knew Zeppelin was aged. I wonder too, I mean, it's just a a thought, but like, I wonder if that has to do as well with like, just the sound of everything has, has come back around, you know, like maybe, you know, like that mid lake record, the trials of Van Occupanther. Like, I wonder if you like pop that record record. on such a good record. One of my favorites, but I wonder if you pop that record on to somebody who's like 14 right now. And you're like, you play like Fleetwood Mac, mid lake, and then some Jackson Brown. Are they going to (laughs) know? That one of them is from 2005 and one no of them way. From- especially now with that record right they because those those guys those were denton denton kids they knew what they were doing you're damn yeah. right about that yes i, I yeah, love they, they knew what they were doing records um <laughs> <laughs> bella union i think was the label that they were on back in the day it was bella union which yeah, was the cocteau right. twins label i think um which is 4 ad i think was cocteau twins oh was it okay uh, maybe um, yeah but so yes, uh, um, um but yeah, I think I wonder just because some of that stuff's so cyclical, like the rock music we were hearing in like the early 90s, mid 90s, there, there wasn't really a lot that sounded mm-hmm. like Fleetwood Mac at all. And like now there kind of is. Um, even like a lot of that stuff yeah. that um, Blake Mills and Phoebe and Ethan Gruska and that stuff that those guys are doing is so futuristic, but it's also based on like that same sort of old school principle, which is very exciting and cool um, that they're doing that. You're, you guys are very much in that boat because there's so much space and, and this is the stuff I, I am not intelligent enough to eloquently explain space and compression to people because when people are listening to music, it's just, you want it louder. You versus think you want it louder. When there's, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that, that is, that's the thing. When, when you listen to like Ethan Gruska, that's that album. Um, that's great. And also Christian Hudson. Yeah. It's like, it's a flawless yeah. album. That's yeah. why we bring Ethan and, in I mean, to work on our records too. Um, he's been an awesome collaborator just because his brain is, is incredible. I, I didn't know who he was other than hearing that first Phoebe record and yeah. thought that the production was unreal. I was like, what is going on? Like, and then Ethan's record, we were listening to it the other day with, the band came on and I was like, try to tell me what you think one of these instruments is. Like, what do you think one of mm-hmm. these is? And you try to listen. He's like, I have no idea because he's a freak. So he's like, you know, it's going to be like some, you know, bass harmonica through, you know, a pog pedal um, with like a, a reverse and a distortion <laughs> on it, you know, and it somehow sounds just like a piano. Um, that, that, that sort of um, production. And like you said, the space that when you have, when you leave space, oddly, 
not oddly, it makes sense actually, but it, it allows so many other areas for just small details that then inform oh, what yeah. a what a headphones record is and why you want to listen and hear like these things that are very meticulously placed across left and right and um and see where they stick out. Um, we did not know that lesson for a very, very long time. It took making a record that had zero space with our record cope in order to try and go the opposite of that, leading into Swiss Army Man, where all it was was space and an acapella. Um, you know, sort of like a reprogramming of just like the palette of what could fit in, in a Pro Tool session. Um, and yeah, we're still sort of chasing that down. Do you ever like purposely limit your tracks? Like I was watching that Dark Side of the Moon doc and yeah. I'm like, they did this with 16 tracks. Like, yeah, it's funny. A, a 16 me and Robert, track Otari tape. <laughs> me, and, me and Rob talk about that all the time where it's like, what a cool decision they made to not have the basin in this part. And we're always like, I wonder if that was a decision or if they just couldn't fit think, it on that section. No they had to go like, something's got to stay and something's got to go. Yeah. Which is great. I um, think about that all the time. We don't limit ours. We do the opposite. We're like maximalists in that we just continue to add, continue to add, continue to add, continue to add until it's way, way too busy. And then we just are really like a fire sale. We're just like deleting everything that we can that isn't the coolest to us like moment. And a lot of times what we find is like, just do a quick example. So like we start with an acoustic guitar doubled. All right, then we'll add some piano. Then we're adding like a profit. Then we're going to put some Mellotron on it. All right, let's put some vocals on it. All right, let's put some bass okay. on it. All right, let's put like, you know, kind of drum drum pad on it. And then bullshit, 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 bullshit. Oh, you know, be cool. Like some, you know, <laughs> some glockenspiel. And we're just like, it's, and all of a sudden it's out of control. But, and on Valley of Vision, this happened a bunch. Like the seventh idea, when you delete all that other shit, that's then like, mm-hmm. and that is now taking the place of your original doubled acoustic guitar, quote unquote, scratch track. So now all of a sudden you're Ooh. like, you're you're basing a song off of an arpeggi- arpeggiated prophet sound um and you know a shaker that you added to try and fix how the you know the, the double acoustic guitars weren't quite in rhythm so you needed to add a little something else and then you've got yourself this whole other palette of sounds and then we're all like horned up being like this is gonna be dope <laughs> you know so it's always like how do we find like the four or five weirdest things that work together as the kind of the basis of it. That's sort of the process recently. Oh, that's amazing. I think about that all the time where like I reread the recording Pet Sounds book mm. and there were all these moments when like Brian Wilson was just losing it and adding more and more stuff on there. And they were like, this is incredible. And then he would call everyone back to his house and he was on LSD at this time, right. very heavily, really losing it. And um, he sat everyone down. And this is, I mean, this is just going to break your heart. And he's like, you guys, I figured it out. I figured it out. This is it. Because uh, Pet Sounds was like a very much inspired by and almost a retaliation to uh, Rubber Soul, the Beatles album. And so he's like, this is it. This is going to blow those those Beatles guys out the water. And he sits down on the piano and he presses right. one note. Boom. And he just hits it over and over again for like five minutes. And they were like, oh, dude. Uh-oh. <laughs> They're like, it's over. What are we doing now? <laughs> he's just hit one note. We take it all away. The idea is no music. We got it. We got it. And they're like, um. And then he was getting pissed off because he wanted sand on his toes. That's right. Bringing in buckets of sand around the piano. Yeah, that's right. And he'd have like playing all night long. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That being said, that record then you know scared the Beatles so much that they had to go make. Sergeant Pepper. You know? Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. I mean, that's, and by the way, Pet Sounds over Sergeant Pepper all day. Sorry. Cancel I think, me. I don't care what it was. No, take. I think you're right. Probably if you go song for song, um, there's, there's, yeah. they're, they're both 
perfect, but I know what you mean. Yeah, plus they had to reinvent themselves, like, physically. It's very you know, true. None of those guys had to grow a mustache to make, to make a better song. <laughs> it's very true. What's up with you and the just Beatles, saying, dude? Just, you got, like, some issues? <laughs> yeah, we, we, I don't know. You're right. Why, why am I? I'm throwing a lot of shots at the Beatles. Okay. Maybe it's because they're, they're, they're up on Mount Olympus, and sometimes just, it's just easier to hate the gods. Well, that being said, I just rewatched like the first half hour, just had a moment, and I'm always trying to find just like, even it's a musical doc I've seen again. I just rewatched the Eagles one. Um, I think that's weirdly my happy place. I could watch a music documentary on, music a, on an artist that I've yeah. hated my entire life, and I will finish that music doc and be like, respect, man. It's good to see somebody out there. So wait, you said the Eagles? So you I too? love them. <laughs> I, I love Eagles. But that, that documentary is always, it's fun to watch them too, being a musician for all these years and being in the industry. The first time I saw that was 10 years ago and then watching it 10 years mm-hmm. later. And I like, I understood it way more than I did the first time. Um, anyways, I was watching that Beatles doc and they, they're all in there like the first or second day. And they're like, George is like, why don't we have a four track in here? And then it's like, aren't they going to bring one in? He's like, uh, yeah, they said they bring a four track. Uh, but they said they can't bring an eight track. And Paul's like, they're bringing a fucking eight track to the Beatles in Bangladesh. I mean, to the, uh, to the beach boys in Bangladesh, they can't bring us. And they're like, you can tell they're like, chests are puffing up. I'm oh, like, yeah, y'all are pissed. in the Beatles. It's cool. You can get an eight track. Like, that's fine. I'm sure. Like EMI's got to bring it. Like they're mad, you know? Like we need more than four tracks. It's like, yeah, probably. Well, the best is right how that ends. Cause, cause freaking George Harrison's like, I got one. I'll yeah. just bring my own personal. <laughs> exactly. They're like, we got psycho Steve over here. Remember that dude in the documentary too, just making shit the whole time. They're like he's got the seven neck guitar with a Rubik's cube on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I've been so, I, maybe that's it. I've just been so into all these Beatles stuff lately too. Just like analyzing and analyzing as much as I can. Like in like like I'm really gonna find the the source, you know what I mean? Like divine inspiration. Totally, and I think I would get annoyed with it, like because everybody talks about it all the time, but I don't. It is worth analyzing to that level. It's it's really a miracle, and like the short amount of time that that happened, you know, it is really. It's like yeah, it's like a shooting star. Someone went up to Paul McCartney once. This is like a famous quote, and they were just like, "Man, the Beatles and this and the Beatles, and you could have done this and you could have done this, and why didn't you?" And Paul McCartney's response to the guy was like, "You got to let it go, man." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's like, you got to let it go. <laughs> I'm sure he feels that way. It's like, we didn't mean to do this. <laughs> Just like, chill, man. <laughs> oh, geez. So you're getting ready to go on tour yeah. with the ultimate. It's, this is going to be nuts. You yeah. and Jimmy World. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, what are you freaking prepared for all this? I mean, there is right now there's a perfect storm of people being madly, madly obsessed with rediscovering a lot of the music from like the early aughts. Right. Where it's like Chris Carabba of Dashboard Confessional, um, you know, even like like Get Up Kids, a buddy of mine was, you know, was was in that band and like there I love the Get Up Kids. There's like a, a rebirth that's about to happen. And Jimmy World is definitely up there. Are you are you guys pumped? What what's what's the plan here? I you know what's funny about Jimmy? I'm not sure they ever left like just being no, a solid true. rock band. Like that's why I've always loved them so much too. Is because it's just been like just great work. Just great work. You're like day one. Great work. No drama. You're going to enjoy listening to it. They, they they just get better. The live show's always good. Jim's voice always sounds good. We were we are um, fans. And so when it came up to do a co-headline with them, there was really a, um, a huge moment that just kind of happened for all of us. Just like, whoa, 
man, like <laughs> we've done a lot of awesome things in our, our career and stuff that we never thought, you know, would happen. But that one just to kind of feel like, whoa, we're like being respected by a band that we hold to the highest respect. Um, and we're being looked at as equals. Um, and, and, uh, it just nerded us all out, you know, truly. And then getting to know them before the tour starts and having, you know, long phone conversations with these guys just going like, whoa, these are like just secure, kind, adults you know who are just oh, like amazing. wanting to have that's a great amazing. tour and we are hopefully the same you know we are aiming to be um so i think it's going to be a blast man i've been trying to find like you know who's our band going to be like like no effects and like uh, bad religion always had each other it's like you know, go do some things i'm like dude i'd be fine with that jimmy forever we'll go do do a tour every other year oh, you know what a great analogy yeah no effects and bad religion those were epic tours yeah you must have gone to the warp tour a bunch huh i never went to one warp tour not what? a single one dude i was on tour already you know <laughs> they, oh, yeah, they weren't asking us to no fly. wait this was because you started touring what oh three yeah like oh five when we started like okay. significant oh four i was a merch guy um for a summer and then uh, then oh five i started branching out um and oh man yeah we got asked to do the warp tour a few times but it was just like ah <laughs> i'm not gonna do that <laughs> It was a yeah. hundred bucks and like all you ever heard was it's the worst experience of your life. So I think we're like going to pass on it. <laughs> yeah, I saw a warp Tour and I remember it was The Offspring was one of the headliners. And the dude from The Offspring got on stage and was like, you guys are the shittiest audience we've ever played for. <laughs> And I was like, oh man, dude is about to have a breakdown. Yeah. And all of us were sitting there where, and our where was this? in our Hurley. This was in St. Louis. This was at Riverport. Yeah, dude. This um, is th which I don't three know weeks into now. the worst summer of his life. Like he just, he couldn't handle it, you know? <laughs> he had had one too many vegan hot dogs that day and he was ready to let I guess. Have it. I was like, they must have been printing money at the merch table though. Cause nothing's worse than like a 13 year old kid forcing his mom to buy an offspring t-shirt. I mean, no. which is probably now worth $300 or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> My one of my first um, shows like that was when I was in the eighth grade in Atlanta. They used to have this festival called Big Day Out. You take over mm -hmm. Atlanta, Lakewood, cool um, outdoor. They like Dave Matthews would play there and stuff like outdoor amphitheater. And two bands got canceled that year that I was looking forward to. And it was Coldplay and Jimmy Eat World. This is like 2001. Maybe 2000, 2000, 2001, they okay. get canceled, replaced by Nickelback and Collective Soul. And the lineup was, you know, who else was there? Tenacious D, pre-first record. Oh my God. Um, that sounds fantastic. Oh man, the, the bands were amazing. Alien Ant Farm was there. It was very much that, like right at, you know, Seven Dust, um, Godsmack, 311. Um, gosh, who else? It was, yeah, just sort of not really sure what my musical taste was. Like the only thing that makes that lineup sure. better is you pop System Boot down in there. Um, but yeah, like that, that was, remember that period? It was like, Hmm, it's very Limp Bizkit era. It's like, I know this rocks and <laughs> it I know is. it's making me rock. Yeah. And I just don't think I've found- Distortion pedals. Yep. Check. <laughs> Melodies, check. You know, <laughs> I'm not seeing the problem here. Yeah. I did love like pop yeah. punk music though. I loved Blink-182 when I was uh, young and, and still like Blink-182. But yeah, I was, was a fan of those guys too. And then it was really like finding bands like Get Up Kids and Jimmy World um, that I think sort of led to me finding other bands um, that were just a step outside of um, mainstream and, you know, had an interesting thing going on and then it leads into the Built to Spills and Modest Mouse and that sort of, that era oh, yeah. of, of, of records and 
that's when I really started getting into finding records and weird, you know, weird bands that everybody else knew about. Yeah. Like I think it's, you, you start with those and you find your way. Because I think like, yeah, I was like into that. And then all of a sudden I'm like getting into dismemberment plans Same. where it's like Same. learning about time signatures. Same. And my dad would walk in and be like, that guy's playing in seven, three. That's insane. What is he doing? Totally. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're talking about gyroscope. <laughs> I know exactly the song you're talking about. Like, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> I love this plan. That is still a band that I will play before we start working on records. Be like, we have to be more like this band. Like this is this is so cool and ahead of its time. You know, deeply ahead of its time. That's that's the stuff that I that like breaks my heart a little bit because I'm sure those guys are fine now, but like they were not slinging records that yeah. much. You know, and I mean, I you want you want your heroes to do well, right? And it's like I'm sure that there's people that are getting into them now and doing it, but it's like I don't know what would have been like if Q and not you would have really hit harder and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I and it's, I don't think there's any right. I mean, I'm sure that you can look at you know particular moments and why sure. and whatever, but in my mind, there's really no rhyme or reason why something does pop off like that and then why something doesn't. Because I'm with you. You can go listen to some of that Dismemberment Plan stuff and like that is the that's a, the catchiest chorus you'll hear in a minute. Um, yeah, but. It also made you think about it. Remember that song you were invited off of a Oh yeah. Maybe emergency and or whatever. I remember that song blowing my mind. Just thinking like he has not played there's no guitar for anybody who hasn't heard this song. There's no guitar, it's just a weird little drum beat. He sings all a cappella until the chorus, drum beat's gone, just this really nice um guitar line sings this beautiful chorus then second verse no instrumentation just this drum beat again and then it pops into this like raging huge chorus at the end and just thinking like okay same with just certain records and you hear like radiohead records or you just go i guess there aren't any rules really we can just try anything you want (laughs) you know If you think oh, man, it's so cool. many things were on that album. What do you want me to say? It was also Huge. on there too. Yeah. And they were panning uh, red wire, black wire in the left and right. So cool. Oh man, this is epic. <laughs> um, I could nerd about this music forever, man. This is pretty much what happens if we have a couple of drinks. You're just hanging at the studio. We're just going, oh, remember this one? Oh, you ever heard this? <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, so Damon Alburn, who's like a personal like hero of mine. That's basically how he writes most of his music. Not that he's stealing stuff from other people, but it's just like he was really into like Fela Kuti and he was really into like, and he just would put it on and then go you know, eat lunch or something and then come back and end up writing, trying to capture like, um, Britt Daniel of Spoon talked about when they were trying to make some stuff, he was listening to, um, Marvin Gaye's what's going on. Mm. And you know how, like in that there is a, um, there's a bongo hit, right. Where also like the snare hits like boom. Yep. And it's like filled with reverb. Right. And they were trying to figure out like, what's that? Like, how can we get that sound? How, you know, which led them to recording, uh, other stuff on there. But I feel like that's, that's, still the way to do it um especially now where it's like do that or what are we going to gather around our phone looking at bad memes i mean i don't know it's interesting i heard um getty lee uh say this quote the other day somebody asked you know what is how do you find individuality and as a musician how do you develop your own your own thing and he's like well first you have to just copy everybody like as much as you can because even if you try to copy them you're going to develop kind of your own weird like version of that because you're not them that's just the way it is. You cannot emulate. Some people can, and it's too obvious, you know, um, but like you can't really, I could sit down right now and be like, I'm going to write a Beatles song. It is not going to sound like a Beatles song. I'm not good enough to make it sound or cheat my way into making it sound like a Beatles song. 
but there's going to be right. something in there that sort of has like that thing to it. And then he says, and the other part is then you go get on a stage and you have to have this sort of bravado and confidence in order to deliver this sound. And he goes, and then once you kind of start developing this confidence in it, then your your identity starts to come up and then you feel more confident in trying your own things without being super influenced by all these people, but you still want to be listening to all these people, you know, that are turning your um, your sound and challenging you to try things. I thought that was a really cool way to to think of it and really made sense to me um, on my own journey. Cause it's like, you know, I've been trying to copy people forever and I just never sound like them, you know, and like, it just ends up sounding like us. Um, and the more and more you do it, the more and more it sounds like you. Do you think about the fact that now people are like trying to copy you? Whoa, man. <laughs> um, I'm serious. Like you search you guys on YouTube and it's all these people trying to make covers. That's crazy. Some are, you know, some are uh, sure a little bit of work, but uh, <laughs> I did see it because um, I I do like this uh, the guitar tab um, app. I really like that when I'm trying to figure out covers. So I pay this like forty dollar a year subscription so I can go get chords for my favorite songs and learn how to play them. Um, and I was looked up our band and yeah, there were like hundreds of videos like doing tutorials yeah. about how to play yes our songs and like not a one of these motherfuckers is right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm some sure of them are better than I am. They're like, oh, I should definitely play it there. I'm making it harder for myself. Um, I, you know that I don't think about that as as much as I can, but it is insane to me that 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 is happening. You know, or people are like influenced, or you know, I get messages sometimes from folks just being like, you know, I started doing this, and what's really crazy is like when. They're like really great artists you know, and popular already. And then I find out, you know, that they're fans of ours. That's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the Phoebe Bridgers stuff brought a lot of folks over. I mean. Yeah. What a like strange, great blessing. Like she covers this song. Uh, I mean, this is pre like the explosion. We were just massive fans of her. Um, and so asked if she would be down with doing it. And uh, she does it. And then that song like sat there for a couple of years, um, you know, people like dug it or whatever, but then as she obviously is like transcended space and time, um, mm -hmm. that song caught on and it is just a really cool, yeah, kind of, um, I'm just so impressed. I knew, I always knew she was awesome um, from the first record that we heard, but what really sold it was she could have easily phoned that cover version in um, and just kind of gone, okay, cool. You know, I was asked to do it. I did it, uh, but she made it incredible. I was like, man, okay. So like, not only is she like caring about her records, this is an artist that's clearly going to care about everything that she's doing. And she's, you know, continues yeah. to prove that. Um, and it, uh, Julian Baker is, is another collaborator um, and friend of mine um, that uh, was just so surprising to me that she was a big fan. And, uh, you know, when reached out, we wanted to work together because, um, you know, man, you just you never know. And uh, it's always surprising to me when something like that comes up. I'm like, oh, okay, cause I thought I was the fan, but ends up we both are, which is cool. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean that Phoebe Bridgers, Comedy Bang Bang, all that uh, stuff. Yes, that, absolutely. That you guys yes, <laughs> into other echelons. <laughs> oh man, yo, but for real, when I find out that I'm going to be on Comedy Bang Bang, I am more nervous than any time that I found out I was going to be on David Letterman. <laughs> that is not a lie. <laughs> That is That's the incredible. most nerve wracking. Scott, um, it's a great. If you don't know, this podcast Comedy Bang is my favorite podcast. And, oh yeah, um, people know. Okay, great. Yeah, good, good, good. Um, but yeah, he even asked me like a couple months ago when they were on tour, sent me an email. I was like, Hey, Andy, can you come out to the Tabernacle in Atlanta, like historic club, um, and and do yeah. the live show with us, play a couple songs? I was like, Ah, oh, 
like we were planning on going, like we had tickets just to go, weren't even going to hit him up, you know? And, and he's like, you mind coming through? It's like, yeah. It's, did you do it? Yeah, we did it. It was amazing. Oh, Got to sit yeah. up there and it was him and uh, Paul F. Tompkins and, um, yeah. and Drew Tarver. It's an incredible um, yeah, list of folks. And it was so bittersweet because I had to sit up on the stage three feet from them where half of me just wanted to be in the crowd as a fan, you know, like <laughs> you're just sitting there going like, please don't talk to me. Just please let me watch them. <laughs> yeah. Just, just do your thing. Just jump into your characters, please. Brilliance <laughs> at every level. Those people like just really, I would say stand up comedy and comedy in general. Um, that's like a close number two on, on the things that bring me joy after music. Oh yeah. The Gil Azari on there, who's a buddy, like every time he's on CVB, I just like absolutely lose it. I mean, he's incredible. I don't know how yeah, they do my it. My wife was like, yeah, she was like, it was funny because I told her I was going to talk to you. And, and, you know, most of the time she doesn't really care who I'm talking to, but she was like, oh my God. She's like, you have to tell him that he's the best comedy bang bang guest. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like, I didn't even know he was on. And I started like doing all this other research. I'm like, holy shit. Uh, yeah. That is the I mean, highest she's, praise. She's a junkie. That, uh, yeah. She's heard every single one. Same here. It's crazy. I, I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's truly like being a part of a canon of just, I think what will go down is one of the greatest, you know, podcasts of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Andy, I've taken up a ton of your time. Thank you. It's Thank blast, you so much. Man. Thank you so chatting. much. Um, before we wrap, is there anything you want to add or mention that I didn't discuss with you or? Or any of that stuff like no there's not there's not a ton other than this tour is coming and if you happen to be a manchester super fan um we do run a fan club over at patreon uh, just patreon.com slash manchester orchestra we do live shows and covers every month um and that's about the Wait, only are you serious the yeah man we've been doing it for like almost three years we don't talk about it it's like a like a hidden uh hidden thing but we've been doing a live show on there every month for almost three years oh my god yeah i'm gonna sign up for this right now right now we're in the middle of covering uh pop 90s females cover songs we've now done share and we just did torn natalie and bruglia mazzy star was last month <gasps> okay i'm in <laughs> i'm in yeah we we have like blamo was like used to be like very very hyper focused like menswear stuff mm -hmm. it was like sid mashburn and you know michael bastion whatever designers and stuff and it got bigger and bigger and people wanted more stuff and so there was like musicians and actors and other people that have been on and we started a patreon it was like right before the pandemic and and that's kind of like hyper nerd focused of like people you know which is it's great Isn't but it's it? like yeah. created these like little more niches of stuff and yeah we love it um, i do too but it's kept it's, us like in a really great way it's kept us busy and active as a band too like just you know need tim heidecker man yeah his patreon thing yeah perfect perfect example absolutely it's like okay so we and when we during the pandemic, it was like, okay, well, at least we feel like we have like a job, you know, like we got a couple of things we got to turn yeah. in every month. Um, and now it's turned the first 18 months. We re-recorded every single song from our discography in a different version. And we do like seven songs in a row, you know, each, each month. Um, and so it was this huge undertaking. We knew, you know, like 80, 90 something songs. And once we knocked that out, we're, um, we just held our first on Patreon only, um, show the other night for our record cope at this spot in Atlanta called the Earl. That's like a 200 cap room and they sold it out immediately. And so it's, it is a very oh cool kind of like, um, streamline to people that, you know, really love about the band and we do a podcast every month kind of thing. So yeah, it's been great. So yeah. if y'all are a fan, go check it out. Oh, for sure. Well, Andy, thank you so much. Thank you, man. This has been an absolute blast. Thank, thanks so much, man. It was great. Great chat. <laughs> All right. Bye.
That's it for our show. You've been listening to Blammo. Our show is produced by Blammo Media. We're edited by Amar Lal and our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Look, if you like what you heard, share the pot with a friend. Be like, hey, man, check out the show. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Do all the things you do when you like things. You can follow us on Instagram for all the hot content at Blamo Podcast or at myself at the Kirkland. If you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Last but not least, we have the Blam Fam. This is where if you want to hang out and join us and chat about anything and everything, you can visit us at patreon.com forward slash blamo, where we have tons and tons and tons of exclusive episodes from Blamo Presents Derek Guy, hosted by Derek Guy, to the Triple J Show, hosted by Gian Delian and John Moy, and myself, I'm the third J. It's a bunch of fun. Last but not least, the incredible, the amazing Slack community. All right, folks, we will see you soon.